I'm delighted to welcome you here to the War Memorial Opera House this Tuesday, February 9th, 2010. Welcome to the Meet the Artist interview that we're about to take on. We are, we are celebrating opening night of Program 2 for the San Francisco Ballet Repertory Season. I'm Mary Wood for the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education. As you know, the Make the Artist interviews, our points of view lectures, and some of our other educational programming are recorded for podcasting. So I definitely encourage you to go to our website, sfballet.org, look for the podcasts, and lots of other information that they store there, including lots of upcoming educational programming, interviews with the artists, and, of course, season information. On this evening's program, program two, we're going to see a revival of Jerome Robbins' Opus 19, The Dreamer, which we haven't seen since 1987 here. Very excited about that. We'll also see the very popular Company B, choreographed by Paul Taylor to the song sung by the Andrews Sisters, a revival from about five years past. And then, most importantly, we're going to see the world premiere of our latest acquisition by choreographer Christopher Wheeldon, entitled Ghosts. And as you can gather, Christopher Wheeldon is very popular here in San Francisco, as he is around the world. This is our ninth piece of his in the repertory. I believe it's his fifth world premiere created on our company. Um, I'm very pleased this evening to have as my guests his part of his design team. And as those of you who are fans know, his works are total theater, and it will be our pleasure to be speaking with, on your far left, Laura Jelinek, who is his scenic designer, and officially Mary Louise Geiger, but she goes by ML. Is that correct? That is correct. <laughs> so I want you to welcome them. Thank you for being here with us. And what I probably didn't say is that ML is the lighting designer. And um, I, I'm just really looking forward to hearing all kinds of the things that I know interest you, which um, interest me, and that is the behind the scenes, the backstage, the before the curtain goes up things that happen to make the piece. Um, I guess we didn't really flip a coin backstage, so I'm not sure who to start with, but let's start. Laura's over there. You are a scenic designer. Yes. And I think, in, you know, 25 words or less, what is a scenic designer and how does one decide when one grows up one's going to be a scenic designer? This is so funny because we were just talking at lunch yesterday about how on earth does someone decide to be a lighting designer? It's um, <laughs> a good question. Uh, 25 words or less. What is and how does one decide? Well, I'd say the scenic designer is... Um, the, I guess a big part of your responsibility is just establishing the world of the piece um, with the designer, I mean, the director, choreographer, etc. Um, how does one decide to become one? I would imagine it's different for everyone, but uh, 
for me, it started with an interest in theater. For some people, it starts with an interest in architecture. So I think I had both, and it's the perfect fusion of the two, I guess. And I had a peek at your biography, and you were actually a math major. Yes. And I'm fascinated to know how a <laughs> math major migrates into theater. Okay. Well, it was, uh, I went to Brown, so nothing is as it seems. I was a math, I mean, it's true, I was a math major. Um, but it was, I did theater while I was there. I did theater in high school, and it was totally normal to study one thing. I didn't really feel the need to study theater. I did a lot of it with the student theater, and I assisted the set designer there. Um, in my head, the connection is clear. Uh, but it's not that I'm like adding or I'm good at geometry. It's more, I think there's something about it with math where you learn, um, there's a certain amount of efficiency and precision that you learn like at, when doing a proof, for example, that translate into this um, exactly for me. But who knows? Well, here's a segue into asking ML to talk about lighting. And same question, um, you can have, 25 words each, so that's 50. Oh, but I will preface it by saying when um, this whole math thing, um, when my daughter was in college, she could fulfill the requirement for her liberal arts college for, um, I can't remember what they called it. It wasn't just math. It was computational something, something. She could fulfill that by taking a theater lighting course. And I'm very curious to know if you have any response to that. But in the meantime, tell us about becoming a lighting designer. Uh, I had wanted to, I've done theater my whole life, and I had initially wanted to be a director, um, partly because I was interested in telling a story and interested in the whole arc of the audience's experience. And in some ways, the lighting designer is the ultimate audience because we're always watching from the same point of view as the audience and trying to make sure that we're looking at the right part of the stage, literally, and that we can see what's going on, and that then the uh, story becomes clear. So we're really experiencing it in the same way that the audience is. And when I was doing my BA at Tufts, which was not in math, <laughs> and I'm actually terrible at math, but I'm quite good at geometry. So, I didn't do anything. Yes, exactly. And what I have to do for lighting is figure out, is to calculate... Um, if I place a light, for example, on that position up there uh, where we're being lit, which is called the balcony rail, what is the angle off the face of the actor that will illuminate the, that will light the face, and then what type of light produces what size of beam? So, for example, it's probably a 19 or a 14 degree beam coming out of that light there, so it's a cone of light, and I would draw a triangle to see where it's gonna hit, whether or not it'll hit me here, and then how far it will spill behind me. Um, anyway, I had to take a technical theater course for my BA, and I realized that lighting dealt with the same issues as direction in terms of storytelling, um, but I wasn't really that interested in the acting process, I realized, so I was more interested, and I was more a visual gal, so worked out. And you are now currently um, located in between commissions, I guess, um, at NYU? Yes, I'm uh, the associate chair of the design department at NYU, and I run the lighting program there. And Laura, what are you in the in the in between commissions? Uh, well, the, <laughs> or the are secret you a is, total freelancer? I'm a total freelancer. Um, yeah, the secret is that I was a student at NYU in the graduate program with ML um, not too long ago, and Chris came to my that we have a graduate design show 
where we all show our work, and that's actually how we met. That was going to be the next question. So that's how Christopher just is one of those consummate creators who is always out there looking and seeing. So... And he's also interested in working with people who have not necessarily worked in ballet before or who have uh, a kind of theatrical bent but are not necessarily of this world from the get-go. And so it introduces people into it, I suppose. And he's also willing to take a chance on people, which is great. Um, so. um, the question might be then, is this the first for either of you to work with ballet? Not for me. Because now this is my sixth piece, I think, with him. Uh, but it's certainly the first piece I did with him, which was at the Bolshoi in 2007, uh, was the first time I'd done a big ballet company. I'd done a lot of kind of downtown, wacky dance performance sort of things, but not a huge ballet, so it was interesting. But is this your first? Yeah, this is my first ballet. I've done a few very, very small modern piece, dance pieces, uh, but mostly theater, and it it's fantastic. Um, it was great because I got to come out in July when he was choreographing and just sit in the room. And um, I mean, they're literally speaking another language half the time. Uh, <laughs> and he'll say all the things out and then they all do the same thing. It's, it's amazing. Um, so that was pretty great. It was really, really fun. It's wonderful. Um, I have just so many questions spilling around. I don't know which one to start with. Um, I guess I will say um, more generically before we really talk about ghosts. Um, you have worked in small theater, you've worked in middle-sized theater, you worked at the Bolshoi. Um, what, what are the challenges, the opportunities, the things about the San Francisco Opera House? Well, the War Memorial is a big room, and it has a lot of stuff in it. So it means there are a lot of toys to play with, which is thrilling. And it has a really fantastic stage crew, and... Um, who are complete professionals and really interested in doing a great job and quite good at their job. So it means they can do fairly complicated things uh, without freaking out about it, I guess, but um, <laughs> without a problem. So that is a huge asset. And um, Kevin Connaughton, who is the lighting supervisor here, uh, makes my job incredibly easy. And um, the Flyman and the props people and the scenery people who are helping Laura do the same thing, and it's great. So that part is fun. Um, this is a little more piece-specific. You will have perhaps read or will be reading in your program notes um, about ghosts and about it being um, an atmospheric piece inspired by the music, which is in its own right fascinating. Um, we also get the impression that this is an abstract piece, that this is not a story, this doesn't have characters. But you have been asked to create a scenic design. I don't know if that means set or yeah, what that really means. Thing. So talk about how does one begin to, um, to create a setting for an abstract work? Where does it start? Sure. Well, it, it started less abstract, I would say, than where we ended in a sort of perfect way. Um, we had the music first, so I actually just spent a lot of time listening to it, and uh, I did some, this is the, the first trick, is you go to the Strand, which is the large used bookstore in New York, with a giant photography section, and you just sort of stand there for like two to three hours, and look at things, um, and you end up with three books 
and you say this is where we're starting. So I found a few books that we all sort of shared that were sort of mood atmospheric. And then we sort of started talking about maybe there being a story, um, which is where the ghost idea came from. Um, and the set sort of came from one of our maybe stories, which then sort of got thrown aside, but the set remained. So, but it's, the set also sort of got more abstract as we kept meeting, as did, I think, the costumes. They started more period and literal. Um, and then it's different for you. But. I'm going to save my question for you. Yeah. Um, the, um, no, we'll go, we'll go to lighting, and then we'll go to collaboration. Um, you very eloquently described how you um, are the one who takes the story and looks at it from the point of view of the audience. Um, likewise, how do you um, look at a piece that has a set and some sort of motivational premise um, as opposed to something that is really abstract? Where does, where does your um, starting point well, the thing to remember about lighting, in a way, is that the light goes until it hits something, and then it stops. So it continues forward in a straight line. And you can want it to not do that. Like, you would love to spray some light stop on something and make the light not be there, but it doesn't work that way. So what, <clears throat> what that means is that lighting designers become extremely practical in a funny way. Like, we're kind of concrete people. So we had tossed around ideas about ghost stories, and about shipwrecks a bit. And I've always had a titanic fascination. So there were some images from... I had done another piece that did a lot of stuff, a lot of titanic research. Uh, so there were several images from that shipwreck that had always kind of floated in my mind. So I guess in some ways, in terms of tone, like color, um, there's a little bit of an underwater thing, I guess. Uh, in the meantime, there's the craft element of if you want to see a body in space, the front light will reveal the face, side light reveals the three-dimensional nature of the body, the sculptural nature of the body, and backlight separates the actor from scenery, or the dancer from scenery, whatever. So there's the craft question of in order to light the body as a three-dimensional object in space, which is what it is, so you have an obligation to sort of reveal that, you have light on the dancers. And then in order to reveal the... Scenic item, um, which in this case is a sort of piece of sculpture, then you need to come up with light that will light that. And what's uh, our scenic item is sort of hanging, so it's easier to light the dancers separate from the scenic item. But we had talked a lot about floating the dancers from the floor. So the only way to do that is to light, you have a light like on the floor. It's called a shin buster. It's attached to a pipe. And it's called that because, you know, it's 18 inches off the floor and everyone bumps into it. So you have a big bruise right here. Um, uh, so light from the floor was very important to be able to separate the dancers from the floor. And also in dance, side light is the most important direction because it will reveal the kind of three-dimensional nature of the body. So side light is important, so therefore we had to have a way of getting side light on the figures. And then there's other different kinds of light on top on the sculpture. So the point is to light the sculpture separately from the people. I'm fascinated. Um, you have both said we and in meetings and sharing ideas. And so then I want you to talk a little bit about the whole nature of collaborative work. 
Um, you're definitely not doing any of this in a vacuum. Where are you in relationships to each other and to Christopher and the costume designer? And these are meetings, these are phone calls, these are emails. They're mostly me. I mean, it's always a combination of phone call, email, and meeting in person. It happens that Chris and Laura and I all live in New York, so we could meet in the same city. And Mark Zappone, who's a, who's done the be- really beautiful costumes, um, lives in Seattle, so he was not necessarily able to meet with us at the same time. And we started meeting last summer, June, I guess, and just kind of talking about Chris had been interested in a particular book or had been interested in ghost stories, and so we started kind of talking about that, and then should it be scary, really? Should it not be? What are ghosts? You know, how do we want to think about what that is? And then you and Chris met separately, too, for a while. Yeah. Or I, maybe I was out of town. Well, we started, we all met together, I think, and then Chris, he choreographed this in July because of how the schedule worked. So I came out then, and we started playing with the model, and I think Mark came out right after I left, because our schedules didn't match up, but he got to come then, too. And then I had some meetings with Chris alone, but um, but mostly we met together, which was good. But what was nice about it, she was saying the book, it was the Shirley Jackson, we we have once the lived in this castle, life. we have always lived in this castle. It was no, it was like a novella. Anyway, okay. what was great about it is that if you see the piece, you'll you'll not necessarily recognize any connection, but it was sort of like... We started with this novel, and it was sort of just the mood of it. And then I found this other ghost story that was on the bookshelves that week that we all read. Um, and we had time to sort of just play around. We were all doing different things. We would we would meet, like, we would leave for a month and then come back. So we had time to sort of sit on things. And I could play with the model alone and then play with it together. And so it sounds as though... Um you're all influencing each other as mm-hmm. this thing is building yeah. and growing in concept. Ideally, um, yes. Nobody is... It, <laughs> no, Christopher isn't sitting there saying, okay, now I want this. No. No. I mean, he does sometimes... That that can happen in a tech rehearsal sometimes, that at the point of this week, we have what are called tech rehearsals. It's probably short for a technical rehearsal, which is when we actually turn the lights on and deal with this um, hanging piece of scenery so that we can see in what configuration we want to put it and also what lights will actually do the right thing at a particular moment. So that period can be a little bit painstaking, and then he will say, no, I want it to be that way. (laughs) Or it should be darker here, it should be lighter here. We have a tradition of asking the audience if they would like to ask questions. So at this point, I think... Uh, I want to be sure we've got enough time because we usually run out. Um, and there's a hand right there. Can, you, can very, you summarize that a little bit just in case everybody didn't oh, hear it? Oh, if everybody didn't hear it. She had said that she had seen a piece in the early 80s lighted by Jennifer Tipton, who was my teacher, um, who did the other two pieces on this program, um, and that the, she felt the light was really a character, and what did I think about that? I, You know, it's... Well, she was my teacher, so I've always been influenced by that point of view, I suppose, and sometimes... 
uh, depending on the piece, the light is going to be a little more present than other times. I feel like this one, I don't know whether you notice the lighting or not. Uh, I think you probably do notice the lighting in this in a way that you will not necessarily in Company B, for example, which is also a Jennifer piece uh, from late 80s, I think. Um, I don't know that I'm answering your question. Uh, I, what I try to do is make light that's appropriate to that particular piece. So I think it varies depending on the circumstances of the collaboration and the piece of theater or the piece of dance or whatever that I'm doing. So what you want to do is make something that's specific to that. So that, in that case, it's going to really vary. Sometimes the lighting should be more present. Sometimes it should really fall back, depending on that. Um, over here this time. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. What it means is that you can do quite complicated things. Oh, she was asking if the lighting is controlled by computer. Um, and, yes, what happens is there's a technician who uh, types in what are called channels, which is a number on a switch, and they're combined in what's called a light queue. It's stored as Q12 with a time, with an uptime of 12 seconds and a downtime of 30 seconds. And... That's what will happen. And when there was a human being running the board, there was a kind of um, connection in some ways to the dance itself because you feel the person behind the switch that I a little bit miss. But you can do significantly more complicated things with the computer. So it's been a great boon. And it's always the same. Well, what happens then, she was saying that there's still a human involved, there's still humans involved, and how do you manage to make stuff adjust? Uh, then it really falls to the stage manager and the placement of the cue. So there's a stage manager backstage who tells someone to push the go button. So there's a technician that's sitting with a, his finger on a button, and there's somebody else that's watching the piece and says, stand by and then go. Correct. <laughs> there it's... Uh, there is also a stop back button, so should we make some mistake, you can say, hold it, and it'll stop, and you can go back. Oh, love it. Yeah. Yes, she was asking if the lighting uh, is attached to the piece. And yes, the lighting, the costumes, and the scenery are sort of attached to the piece. So now, should uh, another company do this piece, they would use Laura's set, my lights, and Mark's costumes. Every now and then, we will see on a program a piece that was done 20 or 30 or 50 years ago, and it'll say, um, lighting after so-and-so's lighting. Mm -hmm. um, is there a nuance to that? Uh, it probably depends on whether or not she was. Oh, you heard. You were on a microphone. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, it probably depends on whether or not uh, the designer is still alive. Whether or not they were able to make. You know, there was a relatively huge technological change when computers came in, and in the last say twenty years. So, if the pieces from the '60s, as for example, Gene Rosenthal, some of Gene Rosenthal's pieces for Martha Graham, are you know from the '30s on up. So the lighting is theoretically the same in that the ideas that are present, you know, it's a warm light, it's a cool light, it changes to a single special or something like that. 
those ideas may remain the same, but it may be that there's another designer that actually facilitated the changes. And in the case of the Martha Graham work, um, Beverly Emmons, who's also a wonderful lighting designer, um, <clears throat> transposed all of Gene Rosenthal's work to current fixtures. So it was done, they were built, those pieces were initially built on lights that were totally different than the lights we use now. So everything had to be kind of What's the word? translated to new technology? Yeah. Yeah. Keep my eye on the clock. Yeah. Interesting question. He was asking, he was saying he's sitting in the front row of the balcony and sometimes feels like the piece is a little bit dark or wishes that it was a little more light uh, for people sitting back there. And um, yes, that's always the question of what you're trying to balance. So in a way, it depends on where you place the tech table so that the table that I sit at when I'm lighting the piece needs to be sort of far back in the house so that you make sure that it's not too dark for the people that are far back. You also want to go back and check and see if it's bright enough. Um, and then sometimes you have to watch it with an audience and see how they're responding and then make adjustments based on that. And you don't always have a house that's this big. Right. So that's going to change from piece to piece, I'm going to guess. Right. And so there is another lighting designer here, Les Dickard, who is setting the uh, Jennifer's light for the Robbins piece. And... Les is doing the kind of translation between what the ideas have been for that piece for a while, that piece has existed for a while, and adjusting for it for this theater. And so say it says that the side light is at half, you bring it up to half and take a look, and it may be that it feels too dim, so you adjust it up to make sure it's bright enough for the people up in the balcony, um, and kind of vice versa. So we're tweaking that all the time. I think we have time for one more question. Uh, so he asked about this set, which is basically just a sculpture um, versus other things I do and if they're more practical or realistic. Um, I definitely do both. I think this is probably the most sculptural thing I've ever designed that's actually happened. Um, when you're in graduate school, you design a lot of possibly, you know, fake projects, basically. Um, and, I was really, and I got really interested in that, but, you know, they're a lot harder to build. So uh, when you're somewhere like this, you can do it because the shop is so skilled that they just they make it work and then I mean the thing that's interesting she was talking about the computer that's making all the lights go and actually the set which you'll see moves is actually totally human human run um, and there are 12 guys back there each on a line with ropes moving the set which actually sort of looks like it doesn't really look like a machine but it looks like a creature that's doing it on its own um, so sometimes the old the old way is the best way to do it that's a great way. I'm sorry we have to stop now. They're about to shout half hour. For those of you who came in late, it's been a um, terrific pleasure to be speaking with Laura Jelinek, who is the scenic designer for Christopher Wheldon's Ghosts, and M.L. Geiger, who is the lighting designer for Ghosts. And I'm hoping that you have been really intrigued and are really looking forward to seeing it. I know we're all going to love it. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy Thanks. the performance. <laughs>